Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, if you are just joining us, uh, we have been in this amazing new series called Searching for God. And what we are doing is we are exploring some of the top questions that people go on to Google for. Uh, questions about God, they're Googling, and we picked four of the top ones. Uh, and we are using a process called systematic theology. That's a big, huge doctrinal seminary word that basically means that we're taking a concept of God and what we're doing is we're looking at it through a biblical lens and looking at the characteristics of God to answer questions. It's called systematic theology. It's used by theologians all over the place. It's been used for many, many years. It helps us answer questions that is, is sometimes hard for us to understand, or maybe the Bible doesn't directly answer that direct question. So you use systematic theology to find out what the answer is to that question. And so for our first week, we asked the question, is God good? How do we know that God is good? And we explored that, and we found out that he's the very characteristics and he is the nature and definition of good. So therefore, good is defined by what he does. And last week, we looked at another question which goes alongside if God is good. We asked the question, if he is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? If there's so much good, why is there so much evil? And this is what's a little bit shocking as we discovered this, is that if there was no evil in the world, you would not exist because you are evil, because you have sinned, and you he would have to annihilate all of us to rid everything of evil, because you're like, well, oh, the devil, you know, with the, the horns and the pitchfork, that's evil. No, the Bible defines you as evil. So therefore, because we have sinned, we ask the question, God, why are you patient and why are you with us? Why do you allow us? And we found out that there's a bigger story going on that God's love for us now gives us the definition of why he is not destroying all of us and God gives us a way to have relationship when we don't deserve it through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I've warned you guys all this. If this is, if you're not like a, like a real studious, nerdy person, which I am and Kurt is, I apologize. Uh, stick with me. This is going to go in a different direction than a lot of our sermons. But this is so, so important because you have to understand these key elements to be able to articulate and even understand your faith. Because if you really don't believe God is good and you're questioning the reason why there's evil in the world, when something bad happens to you, you'll immediately say, well, God doesn't love me. Instead of looking at the truth of his character and the truth of who he is, your experience and your circumstances are going to start to define things about God. And that's one of the top things I talk about as a pastor are really poor definitions that we have or expectations on who God is is based on our experiences versus the word of God, which is the only truth we stand on. The word of God helps us to understand and define and get the characteristics of who God is. Now, this is something also to understand when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God is complete in which what God wanted to give us. It doesn't mean he told us everything about himself, right? Like, we have to expect that God's bigger than our little minds can imagine or understand. And sometimes that bigness gets really confused. We're like, oh my gosh, this is so much. How do I take this all in? And that's when we start to use systematic theology to try to understand the best we can through the Word of God given to us about big, huge topics. Today's question, 
does God love everyone? And I'm going to use a bigger question because I think it's even more appropriate. Does God really love everyone? Really? Because I think if you're sitting here today or watching us online or listening to our podcasts, you're at least quasi-interested in the idea of God and you have some interest. And so I would call you quasi-convinced. You're like, well, yeah, God loves everyone. He loves me, so he must love everyone. And we would like to say, we hope so. But this is a much bigger question than just does God love you? It's a huge, huge question that we have to break down in very small chunks because your immediate gut reaction is going to be yes. But the truth is, the truth is you really believe there might be a limitation to God's love. There might be a small limitation to God's love. And the reason why you believe there might be a limitation to God's love is because you have a limitation to love. You have limitations. Our experiences, our relationships, things that we have gone through, all the pain that you've had in relationships where someone has said to you, I love you, I care about you, and then they broke your heart. All the relationships in which there was trust and there was relationship in which you would give your life for a person and they spit in your face. Since a young child till now, you've had experiences in your life in which you've realized, man, I just can't throw myself out there and open myself to everybody and truthfully love everybody because if I do that, I'm going to get hurt. And so as I begin this message today, I acknowledge the fact that there are people in this room who have been deeply abused and misused, that there are people in here, when I say the idea of love and God loves me, puts a little bit of anger into your chest. And before I move on with that, I want to stop. I just want to acknowledge that. And I want to pray right now, if you join me in prayer as we start this sermon, for the love that's been broken here in the room today. Father God, we are going into this idea of your love for us and I acknowledge that there's love that's been broken in this room. Father, I acknowledge that there are hurting, deeply hurting people in this room today. Lord, I understand it's hard to understand what love is when we've been abused by it. Lord, I understand. I can relate when there's someone who said they love you, but they didn't act on it. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting here today, this morning that you would begin to heal and do something miraculous in their hearts even now as we speak about your love. That we would explore your love through a new light, that we would explore ourselves and our relationship to you, not by how we define love, but how you define love. Pray this in your great name. Amen. So because there's this issue with us and that there is this tension with us, we have an added layer of complication when I talk about this idea of love, because we're not going to fully open ourselves to loving other people. And so now when someone has hurt us and we have this villain in our life, we no longer, quote, love that person. I no longer love you. I might care about you, but I don't love you. And so our word of love and this villain in our story, we push love out. And this is what makes it even more crazy. Maybe these people said they were Christians. Maybe you've seen or been around a quote-unquote Christian who was abusive, narcissistic, terrible, mean, angry, screaming, like there was no love of God in them, and you're like, if that's God's love, I'm done. And I'm very aware that Mosaic Church has built up a lot of people who said, I'm done with church because I've had terrible experiences, and I'm telling you, my friends, 
I built the church because I've had terrible experiences and I wanted a new place in which we think different about what God has us in life. In 1990s, I was uh, in college at the time, dating myself, and uh, I went to this band. It was one of my favorite grunge bands. Grunge was huge at the time, and I brought some of my college friends. I went to school in North Chicago to go see this band at the Eagles Ballroom. If you guys are familiar with the historic Eagles Ballroom, um, cool place to see a venue. It's historic. It was my favorite band. Super excited. Like, we're all pumped up. We're like, man, we're playing the playlist on our way there. It's going to be so good. And I was, man, I was just so pumped to see this band. And as we park, which is not really good parking in Milwaukee area, you all know that, um, and I start to get to Eagles Ballroom, I hear this crowd and I hear this noise. And we come around the bend, and there's a man standing on a box, and he's yelling. And he's just, I mean, he's just going at it. And I can't really hear what he's saying, and I get closer and closer, and I find out that this guy's screaming at the crowd how we're all going to hell for going to this concert. And he's screaming at this crowd that if you do not turn your life around, you are all going to hell. And that you going to this concert is part of the problem. You are part of the evil in this world. And you are all going to hell unless you do what I say right now, which is turn your life around. And he's handing out brochures to people as he's screaming on this soapbox. I remember this moment because this guy's on his box and he's on my right and I'm walking by and all I could do was duck my head because I was a Christian. And as I ducked my head, I had this feeling of shame. Maybe I am part of the problem. Guilt, is he right? At the same time, I'm so embarrassed that that dude's talking about my Jesus. Because when I read the Bible, I don't see that Jesus And when I talk about the Lord God, the one who saves, like, yes, he's serious about salvation, but this dude's just angry, red-faced, spitting. He's handing out brochures, and the crowd is just laughing at him and flipping all these brochures. I remember the sidewalk just littered with all these articles on the ground. That idea and that thought is stuck with me for all this time because the God he was talking about I don't want the God that I was, he was talking about, I'm like, I don't want to be part of this story. And I'm with my friends, and like, how do I explain my friends? Like, he's talking about a different God, and like, I don't want to be part of this story. I don't even want to be associated with this guy. And he's screaming at us. And I know this dude, because I've been around these dudes before, and maybe you have. He's going to go home, and he's going to puff his chest up how he was persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ that day. And you say, oh, he's going to go to church on Sunday morning, whatever church that is. Not Mosaic. He's going to go to church on Sunday morning. And you say, oh, brothers and sisters, I have been persecuted for the name of Jesus. I was telling them all the truth and screaming at them and yelling at them and handing brochures. No one took their brochures, but hey, I was persecuted for the name of Jesus. And I just ducked my head in embarrassment. At an early age, a young college student my experiences with church and God was getting really confused. So I'd hear this story that that God is love and that we're supposed to act in love, but the problem is, is there was nothing loving coming out of that man's mouth. Just condemnation, anger. He was so mad. And I'm like, is this Jesus? If this is Jesus... I don't want to be a part of this. 
I get it. Like, I even know Jesus that the dude's talking about. And the crowd, I don't know if the crowd knew him or not, but they aren't listening to him. And so my mind started to get warped a little bit. And I started getting confused. Like, God, like, do you really love me? Or are you just super mad at me? Are you just super angry because I suck at life? I already know I'm terrible, God. I know I'm a wretch. I know I sin. I know I mess up. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel like I match up. I look at everybody else who are Christians. They look awesome. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I keep messing up. There's no way you can love me. And this guy just proves it. I'm no good. At a ripe teenage age, I couldn't concept, get in my mind that God loved me. There was no way. I'm not good enough. Maybe you have a religious background, and your religious background just keeps putting on you that if you don't do these things, God's angry at you. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, I better go to church, otherwise God's mad at me. Or I'm going to go to church today, so the big guy in the sky gives me a thumb up. Or whatever your thought concept is, right? Like for some reason... Our relationship with God holds this guilt and shame so heavy on our shoulders. But have you ever thought maybe that's because more of your experience with humans than actually the experience with the loving God? That maybe your dad growing up didn't love you unless you performed, so therefore you now believe that if you don't perform good, God's love is taken from you? Or maybe the concept of that your mom only loved you when you got A's in class and when you got a B minus... She was angry at you, so now you think God is like that? Or whatever experience you have, we now plaster that onto God and say, God, because this happened, therefore that must be what you're like. And this experience, friends, warps the truth of God because we're not looking at who God is, we're looking at what we've experienced. So this is why I say this all the time, it's so vital. You must be a student of the word of God. I like extra books. I like podcasts. I like when I talk. We're all good, but that's not the word of God. You must be a student of the word of God. The word of God is the only truth given to us by God in which you find your answers and find the truth of God. There's lots of opinions and lots of thoughts. There's lots of experiences. Only the word of God is truth. And you don't study it and read it so God isn't mad at you. You study and read it so you can know more about how awesome he is and who he truthfully is. And that is why you must be a student of the word. Because our experiences are going to warp the reality of what we think about God. And so even now as I speak, I'm fully aware that as you're processing this, you're like, yeah, I think the dude might be right. Because my experiences as you're sharing, like I can feel that tension inside of me. So today, as we look at this and this problem, we're going to go right to the word. First John chapter four, verses seven through 16. If you have Bibles or Bible apps, um, anything that you want to read, it'll also be on the screen behind us. First John four, seven through 16 is we're going to explore, does God really love everyone. But let's not go by experiences. Let's not go by guys on the street corner. Let's go by the word of God. First John 4, 7 through 16 says this. Dear friends, let us not love one another. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's a beautiful passage. And if it's your first time hearing it, it, it it's simple in one sense, but the other time, like, wow, that's really really complex because there's so many things happening in there. And honestly, this could be an entire sermon series just on these few verses because it's so rich and so complex. And this is what I want you to catch today, and hopefully you caught it in the very beginning in verse 8. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. God is love. And immediately when start hearing this text, you start to think, okay, God is love, which means God is loving, which is correct. Because he is love, he does loving acts, which we read the rest of the passage about. He sent his son to die for us. We love one another because he cared for us. He gives us his spirit because he loves us. Things happen over here because of God's character, but you can't miss the key to us understanding that God is love. It isn't just his actions He is the literal definition of what love is. So the literal definition and his who he is, is he is love. It's not the experience that you had. God is the definition of love. And because he's the definition of love, everything he does is loving. Now stay with me. Because everything he does is loving, and because he is the definition of love, there's no limit because he is love. There's no limit to the definition. So I know, you're like, okay, math class, right? No, math is hard, right? No, take a look at this. Very simple thing. Show this uh, picture up here on the screen, our color up here. Uh, Next slide. Uh, What color is this? You can say, you can talk in church. It's okay, sometimes. What color is this, everybody? Red. Red. Okay, the screen right now is red with a bleed out because of our lights on the bottom. It's like red, white, right? So this screen is red. Okay, go to our next slide. What color is the ball? Red. Red. Now, if the screen is red, is that ball red? The answer is yes. What defines which? Is every ball have to be red? There's blue balls, yellow balls, red balls, white, all different color balls. Red is the definition of itself. Red is the descriptive. Red is what it is. Red is a combination of pigments that come together to form the color red, which we say red. So red is a definition of itself. Red is red. Blue is blue. Yellow is yellow. Unless you're colorblind. Sorry about that one. But this is for those, uh, if you understand. So red is red. In this ball, in this ball picture, ball is a different thing. Ball is a ball. Red is being part of the ball. So if we look in the context of what I just said, God is love just as red is red. Ball is red just as humans are to be loving like the definition. 
The definition of it now in John chapter 1 is that we now start to take the definition of what love is into us and we're the ball. We're supposed to be red. We were made to be red. And when God is in us and we take his definition, now his definition is my answer to why I love everybody because I've chosen his definition. We are supposed to love as God is love. But God is not a ball. God is not a square. God is not a car. God is not a house. God is God, just like red is red. And now because he is love, we are to love when we are in God and the spirit of God is in us. So our purpose now is to love. We do like he does. And here is our tension point. We've met a lot of balls that are yellow. We've met a lot of balls that are green. We've met a lot of balls that are every color spectrum in the world except for red. And we start to say, I don't want to be a ball. The problem is, is you are a ball. You are human. And you are human made by the one who defines the color red. And so God is the definition of love. He has designed you to love. And so you are supposed to be a red ball. But let's be honest. How many red balls have you met in your life? Fully sacrificial, give everything to you, loves without any hatred, never holds back love, gives to the poor, gives to the needy, gives to the who have much, give, 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 love, 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 open-handed, never stops loving at any time. You're like, Mom, maybe I saw some pink balls once in a while, right? Maybe like half red. Problem is that we can't fit the definition because we're not God. So in our faith walk, we're expecting when someone says, oh, I'm a Christian, that everyone's going to be a red ball. But that's not how it works. Our goal and our new identity is that we love like he loves. But because we're not the definition, you're never going to make it. You're going to fall short because you aren't red. You're a ball. But we try and we strive. And there's moments we're red and moments we're blue. Then we turn purple, right? We have moments. And we try to do the best that we can. But because the definition of love is created by God himself, There's no limitation to God, and so there's not a stopping point. But because we are not the definition, because we're a ball, we can't be defined by it, only God can. So our experiences will fall short, but we have to understand God is the definition. And that beautiful definition, he's the only one true definition in all of life. But I like what you're saying, cool analogy, But what about me? Jason, you don't know my story. The stuff that I've done in my life is so broken and so bad that God has to say, I can't love this person anymore. There has to be some point, right, in our minds where you are not lovable anymore. And unfortunately, in some small way, we all believe this, that our value isn't that God made us and loves us, our value starts to come into our performance and what we can produce for him. Here's the struggle with this, my friends. I I have the opportunity and joy to work with uh, teenagers in multiple facets. And um, I just want to take you back to your teenage years for a few seconds. Girls start to shudder, right? Um, Let's take you back to 14, 15, 16 years old. If you can think back for a second... How did you find yourself valuable? Just think back to your high school days. 
Literally, people are shaking right now. Please don't make me go back, right? I found my value being an athlete. I found my athlete or my, my value being popular. I found my value in people liking me. I found my value in having a girlfriend. I found my value in being able to be cool, blah, 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 right? And so now because our value is based in something completely outside of what our value should be, which is created by God and in his image for the purpose of his glory and his kingdom to be loved by God, we get all these rocky experiences. And now what was built in you as a child and a teenager now sits inside of your heart that you go back to at times and you start to lose your value and you say, well, there's a limit to God. God can't love me because I filled in the blank. And the truth is, is that your value is set because you're an image bearer made by God. He made you in his image. It's already set in stone. So your actions do not matter because God loves you no matter what. But inside of our hearts, we like to have a sliding scale to say, okay, if this is good and this is bad, God loves to this level and that's exactly where I am. You want to be on the side of the good sides, right? Like, I just want to be just good enough. And if we set our standards somewhere on this good to bad line, we're all going to put it where we want to. But because God is the definition of love, because he is good, there is no line. He just simply says, because I love you are love. There's no limit. There's not a I'm done with you moment. There's not a get out of my house moment. There's not a I'm never talking to you moment. There's not a I'm breaking up with you moment. There's no moment. Because we have all would have been broken up with years ago. He would have given up on us years ago. So if you are looking for the limitation of has God had enough with me because he is defined as love, there's no limitation. You are just loved. Let me take the weight off of your chest for a few minutes. Guys, you're just loved. He just loves you. He just loves you. I'm sorry if you've ever heard a story outside of that that created pain and weight in your life. I'm sorry if some religious guy on a stage said to you, give us your money, do these things, fill in the blank, and then God loves you. Send us your money, we'll send you a prayer hanky. Whatever thing on TV you saw, I'm so sorry if some guy or some woman told you the wrong story that if you do this, then God loves you. That is not in the Bible and that's not Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loved you when you didn't love him. He sent his son to save you before you even knew about him and he did it because he is love. And when you have a different story, these pastors or these preachers or these priests or whoever they were, they're never going to say they're sorry. So can you hear me for a second? Let me say it for them. I'm sorry that they told you the wrong story. God is love. You cannot earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't buy it. There's no limitations to it. The beauty of God's love, which takes the weight off of our shoulders, is that his love is absolutely insane. It's crazy love because we don't deserve it. He just gives it to all of you. No matter what, no pretenses. I remember I was uh, a young dad. I was sitting on the edge of my bed with my son. And he was one or two years old, probably two years old at the time. And I was sitting on the edge of bed. I was praying for him, praying for my son. I just felt this urge. I needed to go sit on his bed and pray for him. So I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for his future. I'm praying for his future wife. I'm praying for his future friends. I'm just I'm, I'm pouring my heart out as a father is pouring his heart out for his son. And I'm just 
giving everything I can into this prayer. I'm like, God, I need you in my son's life. I'm praying. And I just started weeping. I, the tears are flowing out of me as I'm praying. I'm like so earnestly, I'm like, God. And then I became so infuriated. And I said to God, there is no way you can love me as much as I love him. And I repeated it. Now I, now I was angry. Like now I'm like fist closed because I'm weeping those hot, salty tears as I'm just like, there's no way this love that I have for my son and for my family is so rich and so deep. There's no way. There's, that's not possible. You cannot love me as much as I love him. And as I'm praying, these words just come on my heart. There's no way you can love him as much as I love you. Would you give your son to die for somebody else? And there's no way I would. Now, if it's in my heart or my head, I'm just, God's talking to me in that moment. I, my heart completely melted and it broke and I realized the love of God is so much bigger than I ever imagined. Because in my mind, God had limitations that my love that I'm pouring out on my son is the greatest love ever given. And the truth is, that little inkling that I was pouring out was just a little bit of a red in my life. The actual definition of love is that it's already taken care of and his love for me is so grand. That day changed my life. Because I started to realize it wasn't by my performance which God loved me. It was by the definition of love. He just loves I want you to listen to our passage again with new ears, a new definition right now. Let's listen to this passage again. God is defined by love, has no limits. Listen to this beautiful passage now in 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. Catch it. His love is now the definition of action. This is how we know that he's read. He went and did this. He sent his son to die for us. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, don't let that first go past you without hearing it today. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and that he is in us. He has given us his spirit. And when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God for us. If you say you're with God, love is an option. If you say with God, I'm with God and God's spirit is in me, it's not that you're the definition of love, you're adapting and you're adopted into his definition. If God is love, then I must be love. And I'm going to have failures, but now I'm going to love because when I love well, I'm telling the story of God. I'm defining my dad to all of you when I love. When I don't love, when I'm a knucklehead, which happens pretty much every day, 
When I break that love, when I make those mistakes, I'm confusing the definition of love. Just like that man on a soapbox diffused love, confused love for as a young teenager. I get confused when I don't see love. But when we love each other and we love our community and we love the world, we now are an ambassador showing people that our daddy is red. I'm a ball, but I'm a red ball. My daddy is red. He's the definition I've adopted, and I've got his definition on me. Now I'm going to try to love the way that he loved, and that is what love is. You must love everybody. All denominations, all races, all political views, all social classes, all genders, Love, 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 love. There's no limitation to God's love. If there's a limitation of God's love, then the gospel of Jesus Christ only went so far. But the gospel of Jesus Christ covers the sins of all people when you call on him on the name of Jesus to be saved. That's the beauty and the honor of being able to be called red because he love, love, loves. The tension that we sit here this morning is that limitation. Some of us who've been in the church world for a long time want to believe that we're in and others are out of God's love. The word of God says this. There are people who are going to heaven who have called the name of Jesus. That is truth. People who go to hell who do not know Jesus Christ. That is truth. What that man spoke on that box that day was truth. You don't know Jesus, you don't know him. But the truth of it isn't about scaring, it's about loving. And that Jesus isn't doing this because like, oh man, I don't like him anymore. I've saved all of you and he's begging us to come into relationship with him. And hell is the definition of being separated from God forever because that's what you wanted. At the end, we think God's this terrible mean. It's, it's what you wanted. You didn't want Jesus Christ. Therefore, you get to be separated with God forever. It is what you wanted. For those who wanted Jesus Christ, call the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is what you wanted and you are saved. It's not our merits or how good you are or all your works. It's God and God alone. So I love the gospel. I love it. I love it that I get to be called a red ball. I love it that I can be part of his story. And I love it that I get to love everybody. And what does love drive me towards? Because God loved me, I now tell everybody that God loves you. I get to tell you that story. I get to be a representative. I get to say, hey, check me out. I'm a ball. I'm red. You're kind of pink. I got you, right? I get to be defined by my dad. I don't have to earn my way there. Because God's definition is love, not just a small thing, he is love. So let's not define love by our act, the things we've experienced. Let's not define love by our story. Let's not define love in these little pockets of what we want to decide. Let's define love as the Bible tells us to in 1 John. It says God is love, and this is the follow to what love looks like. We get to be adopted into his family. And friend, adoption into God's family is when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There's by no other name you can be saved because God is love. He sent his son for you. He set the atoning sacrifice for all of your mistakes. And this is the crazy part about God's love I don't understand. When I get to heaven, 
It's not because I was a pastor or I was a good guy or cool or whatever, because I'm definitely not. Ask any 15-year-old. Yeah, it's nothing about that. This is why I get into heaven. He looks at me and he sees Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ, the sacrifice made for me. It's not me, it's Jesus. It's all Jesus. And so when I get there, God's love gave the sacrifice. The sacrifice is now over me. And the only reason I have eternal life is because God is love. There is no other way I get there. If he was not love, I'm not there. Because God is love, he sent his son. Because he sent his son and I accepted, I'm saved. And now because I'm saved for eternity, his love is over me. So when God looks at me, he sees his son. And Jesus says, he's mine. Friends, if you have not made that commitment, today is the day of salvation to call on the name of Lord Jesus Christ. God is love. Love is Jesus, and Jesus saved you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world visit us at mosaicwi.com.